I'm a booger. I'm a booger booger. I'm a booger. I'm a booger 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 booger. Thank you for downloading this episode of I'm a Booker Booker, a novel podcast about books and the people who write them. Cabin fever has started to set in as we spill over into the second half of the lockdown. Every day is Groundhog Day. You thought this would be the opportunity to write the great South African novel, but instead you spend hours reading COVID-19 worst-case scenarios, taking your temperature every seven minutes, and fixating on the rising number of worldwide infections. We're traveling into the heart of the lockdown to bring you I'm a Booker Booker, The Quarantine Chronicles, a short and sweet distraction from the pandemic, because what you need to do right now is relax, stay at home, and avoid the coronavirus like the plague. Author's lockdown, T minus 10. A lifetime ago, when the National Party ruled South Africa with an iron fist and an apocalyptic pandemic only happened in sci-fi movies, a young anti-apartheid activist allowed himself to be detained. His detention was in fact a decoy to enable a senior ANC leader to give the brutal security police the slip. The young activist endured beatings, torture, solitary confinement, and nine months in detention. While he was in detention, he met a security policeman who showed him some kindness and would later feed him crucial intelligence that helped the ANC's underground in its war with the apartheid government. Over the course of his life, that young activist has had many names, Mamduna, Kuzwayo, Philip, Sidney May, Chacha, Moshe, but we all know him as Mo Sheikh. The security policeman is only known as the Nightingale. The ANC Spy Bible is an enthralling first-hand account of the relationship between Mo and his unlikely mole in the belly of the apartheid beast. The book is thoughtful, detailed, and nuanced. It provides a bird's-eye view of the mysterious world of secrets. Welcome to Amabuka Bukamo. Can you please read an extract from the Bible, the ANC spy Bible? Thank you, Jonathan. The flight from Amsterdam Schiphol Airport to Berlin Schoenefeld took about an hour. I sat on board the East German Interflug flight, not knowing what to expect, realizing that I was about to go behind the Iron Curtain. Everything had been so rushed. Once in the air, I gave way to the unease. I was plagued by questions. Who would meet me? What if there was no one? How would I explain myself? I sat transfixed in my seat, consumed with worry, and berating myself for not asking these questions of Zuma beforehand. My usual coping mechanism for dealing with uncertainty was to take control, but now control was not an option. I could only place my trust in others. When the plane taxied to the parking lot, I was approached by a flight attendant and told to accompany her to the exit. The doors were opened to reveal at the bottom of the stairs a group of stern-looking white men. As I made my way down the ramp, I tripped and sprawled on the tarmac. A man the size of a grizzly bear came to my assistance. Comrade, he said, don't be in such a hurry to get to socialism. I had to laugh at first from the embarrassment and then at the craziness of the situation. The big man, with a sense of humor and bellowing voice, I soon learned was called Hans. He was to be my translator and minder. Hans, 
if that was his real name, never mentioned his surname. In fact, all the Stasi people I met did not either. Nevertheless, I took to him instantly, all would be well, even though I had ended up behind the Iron Curtain on my bum. (laughs) Thank you. It's a very personal book and you share intimate details about what happened to you. How was it to be so open, to make yourself so vulnerable? Wow, it was, uh, uh, it was quite difficult. But what did help Jonathan was that much of the book I wrote whilst I was in therapy. Uh, and that was really helpful because part of my therapy and my healing uh, therapy sessions was dealing with chapters, the, mainly the painful chapters of the book with my therapist. So I do thank the therapist in the book. So I think the that was really helpful but i must say that in the in the wee hours of the morning uh many 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 tears were shed sure after you were released from detention you are in your optometry practice when the nightingale walked in with the security files that showed that the anc was infiltrated at the level of the nec you must have been really surprised at the depth of this infiltration Absolutely. But, but two things happened. The first was the shock of the, well, in, in, in the book, I, I, I say that I was uh, truly worried whether this was a trap. Right? Right. Uh, and so there was that fear and that anxiety whether this was a trap. And then secondly, when I started to read the information, I was really taken aback at the level of infiltration that the security branch had managed in respect of the uh, ANC and other political organizations. But then the most weirdest thing happened. You know, I, I got addicted to secrets. I got addicted to just being captivated by reading these secret documents. And, and I never felt more alive ever, you know. Uh, and I was you know, just sucked into this world of secrets and intelligence. Wow. It sounds like it was a drug. Absolutely. And and I write, I write uh, that that was the feeling, you know, the, the euphoria, the high, the, you know, the wanting more. Uh, yeah. The acronym MICE is often used to explain people's motivations for becoming spies, money, ideology, coercion, excitement or ego. What was the Nightingale's motivation? I, I don't think it was the money so much, though we did pay him. And, and yes, I think we paid him handsomely after a while. But initially, there was no money transfers. Uh, later, and, and I, I was being a bit respectful in, in the book to myself, where when we did introduce money into the equation, it was to make him dependent on, on the money. But for, for me, I think... He did have a Damascus moment when he saw the the torture and he had to make sense of his own life. So I think his true motivation was ideology and his true motivation was ideology. And he came to believe passionately in what he was doing. And I think he needed to do that in order to just survive and to make sense uh, of his world in, in the security branch. The relationship between spy and handler is very intense and extreme. You're in a strange dance. You depend on each other and have to trust each other. 
Can you describe your, your relationship with the nightingale? Let me let me give uh, a very real example of this. Uh, we would have uh, safe houses, apartments that he would I, he would not have the key, but I would have the key. We would agree on a certain time. I had to always make sure that I was there before he came, and so I'm in in the flat. It's it's a, a flat that's uh, not habited every day it is used for uh photocopying and meeting purposes so it's you can see that it's not a lived in place so i would be there and the door will knock the door would open i would go and open the door and here's the thing before you turn the handle on that door you have no idea what is going to happen when you open that door he could have been caught he could have been turned and he could be entering that apartment now uh, under uh, a blackmail situation where he's been forced by the security branch to show them his handler. And the same would have applied for him on the other side. He would have asked, hey, what happened if Mo got caught? And he was turned uh, because they would want to catch him live, right? And this, so for the first few seconds we look at each other's eyes and there is the anxiety there's the the fear there's the mistrust you're looking for a sign that says you know is he sweating too much or what is it and then of course when you close the door uh, you settle down you have your cup of coffee and then you 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 take all the non-verbal communication and you say okay it's now safe to proceed and then you celebrate Internally, you celebrate one more chance of, you know, one more roll of the lucky dice. Uh, so the dance between spy and handler in clandestine operations is, it is a, a symphony of chemicals from adrenaline to dopamine to, you know, the entire thing all in one big go. Uh, and I, I would be fascinated to do a read up on the neuroscience of uh, the relationship between spy and handler. And I think it is fascinating because it, it, there's so many of the neuroscience pathways or the neurological pathways that are activated in, in, in that kind of relationship. Uh, and I think that's why when, when people get into the spy game, it's hard to leave, partly because it's addictive. Wow. And that, and that yeah, yeah. He wants to be acknowledged, and the book is one way of acknowledging his contribution. But why doesn't he come out of the shadows now? It's 25 years after our democracy. Um, why does he remain in the shadows? That's, that's a good question. Uh, I would always advise him to, to think twice before he makes that decision of coming out or remaining in, in the shadows. I think there is a, a burning, an increasingly burning need for him to come out. Uh, but I think there's also fear. I think there's fear of the people who they would consider he betrayed and whether they would, uh, whether they would forgive him. Uh, I think there's, there's that, and that's a real element. Mm -hmm. And of course, that's always my worry. My worry is that even though the ideological war is over apartheid, it's over we live in a democracy, etc. But for many of the people on the front line, and I think this is on both sides of the equation, 
there is still unresolved issues. Uh, so I really cannot tell you how the security branch uh, or ex-members of the security branch would respond to him when he makes uh, himself uh, known. But I think that is something he's got to consider. Uh, I think the content, the paradox that he finds himself in is that if he wants to be recognized or acknowledged, well, then his identity is going to be known. Uh, and the big question is what, what to do with that. I must say, Jonathan, that's a fear that I lived with for a long time. I always, uh, and the reason why I was put into the negotiation process in, in 1991, uh, after I got indemnity, uh, is precisely to give me a level of protection and safety. When I was inserted into the negotiation process, and especially the negotiations dealing with the, 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 the new doctrine for intelligence and the amalgamation of the intelligence services, me being centrally involved in negotiations was a means to protect me uh, from one of those midnight captures, you know. Uh, so I understand the fear, uh, but age is catching up with all of us. And I think that is something that he he would have to give consideration to. You are bound to the nightingale, but you also write that your life is bound together with Henty Boerter, the sadistic security yes. policeman who tortured you and many other activists. You did mm. bump into him once 10 years ago but he still occupies a space in your head. What do you think it will take yes. to exorcise him from your life? Uh, two things. I mean, for me, is a sit-down. You know, a, a, a sit-down, a cup of coffee, uh, and just for me to understand uh, why. You know, I mean, I don't accept that it is uh, he was doing a job. I think we were all doing our jobs. Well, we were doing uh, our passionate calling. He may say that's the same, and I will grant him that. But I, I am not. I am just want to know why did he cross that line? What made him cross the line? What what brutalized him so much that he felt he had to cross the line? I mean, I, I maybe I've been unfair to him in the sense that I I, I write of his ambition. Uh, he wanted to be a leader of this game of secrets. He wanted to be in the thick of it, and. And I understand that because I, I saw that failing also in my own case. Uh, but I want to know why or what made him cross the line. When did he come to brutalize us so much? Uh, because there were other security branch officers who didn't do that, uh, who maintained as hard as it was uh, under the circumstances, they maintained a sense of what, what we call moral decency. And I think, uh, you know, the Victor Franklin writes about it in, in Man's Search for Meaning, that even some of the most brutal uh, SS soldiers or SS officers had, some of them had at their core a, a little humanity. And so I want to understand when and how did both have lost his humanity, but more importantly, perhaps I think I would want to help him regain that humanity. Uh, I don't think any human being should live the, the kind of barren life of not having regained one's humanity. Uh, and it's never too late to regain one's humanity. 
So I would want to meet him for understanding what caused him to, to, to cross the line. And secondly, I would like to meet him to help him regain it. You've been in solitary confinement. You spend years in hiding. And during Operation Vula, when you're being hunted by the police, you're in lockdown, where you never left your apartment. You were locked yeah. up and locked down. So this particular, particular lockdown must be a breeze for you. How are you managing to keep staying during this time? <laughs> <laughs> this, Jonathan, this is... Okay, let me put it this way. This is an absolute holiday compared to what what I had to go through before, right? I mean, and now there's Netflix and there's books and there's my loving family that I could be with. And uh, I think my family is, um, and I'm talking about my beautiful wife and my two beautiful children, they want the lockdown to end (laughs) simply because they want me out of their lives. I've got them on routines. I've got them on, okay, we need a plan, a routine. and yeah, so I think I'm becoming, I'm becoming like, you know, the, the prison guard here, so to speak. But for me, this is like heaven. I mean, like, you know, this is what uh, I used to do all the time. Uh, so it's, it's really is a breeze for me, I, I must admit. Now they are, they are and I don't have to feel guilty about it. <laughs> yeah. um, there, there are five Sheikh brothers. What would happen if just the yeah. five of you were all locked down together? Uh, okay, so I think that's a bad idea. <laughs> I think that's a very bad idea because we are also uh, strong-minded people. Uh, each got our own opinions. Uh, I could see the first battle will be about when do we have breakfast because of different <laughs> sleeping times and different insomnias. And my OCD will will give way because I need order. Uh, so we all got to have breakfast all at the same time because then I can wash up the dishes all at the same time. With uh, the the other brothers, it won't work. They also very str- strong opinions on matters. Uh, uh, so I could see the discussions will go long into the night and often, and often breaking down in some emotional uh, trauma. Uh, so I don't think it's a good idea at all, at all. Uh, but I would love... I would love maybe to spend time with Eunice because he's uh, a very reflective, reading type uh, person. And you could have very long, entertaining discussions with him. Uh, but yeah, so he's in Cape Town. And I, I know that you, you, you said one last secret in your book, and that is um, that you, your heart is drawn to music. So I'd like to ask you what song would you take with you if you could only choose one song to take with you into lockdown what song would you take i would take uh, empty chairs at empty tables uh, by uh nemes rab uh, from the, the musical of the opera nemes rab uh, empty chairs at empty tables it's about it's about a song where people lost their comrades in the french revolution and others had to go on with their lives and it's a song of deep reflection on were the sacrifices that people made worth it. That song resonates with me from the day I heard it, and it stayed with me uh, forever. And it is one of the songs I put in books. I will take. I will take Lemus Rap. Sound effects. Rorschach test.
I mean, the Berlin orchestra taken there by my Stasi mind, uh, the conductor is playing, and I'm sitting in that uh, place reserved for VIPs listening to him conduct that music. Oh my God, that's the dreaded phone call coming from Zuma telling me my time is up in intelligence. <laughs> oh no, don't give me that. <laughs> yeah. Ah, that's that's the recording. Uh, I could hear my phone being intercepted uh, way back in the eighties. That's the kind of you know technology that they had, and you would hear that noise. So that's I'm in a house in Sydney. I pick up the phone. I hear that noise. I know the phone's intercepted. I'm in Algiers. In uh, I've just I'm ascending from my scuba dive. I've just been down to the Roman ruins. I've seen all the amphora lying on the bottom of the Mediterranean Sea. I'm coming up, and that's the sound just before I break the surface to look at the beautiful uh, scenery in Kipasa, Algiers. Thank you, Mo. The ANC Spy Bible is a gripping memoir and an important contribution to the record of our tumultuous past. It's available on ebooks until the lockdown is over, and then you can get it at your favorite bookstore. Thanks, Mo. Thank you. Take care. Bye bye. Thank you for listening to Amabuka Booker, the Quarantine Chronicles, live from the lockdown. You can subscribe to Amabuka Booker on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm a Booker Booker is produced by Jonathan Anser and Dan Dews and brought to you by Books Live in collaboration with Multimedia Live. Authors who would like to be featured, email jonathan.anser at gmail.com.